Hello, and welcome to Real Talk About Real Identity from Axiom. This podcast is devoted to important identity trends and the convergence of ad tech and martech. I'm Kyle Holloway, your podcast host, and I'm joined by our co-host, Dustin Rainey. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Real Talk About Real Identity. I'm your co-host, Dustin Rainey, here with Kyle Holloway. Real Talk About Real Identity is focused on exploring the convergence and the related disruption of MarTech and AdTech, seen from an identity practitioner's lens. So, Kyle, Google has spoken again. And as we've seen before, when Google speaks, you know, the industry tends to listen. They just announced that they would be scrapping Flock um, as their third-party cookie replacement and instead moving to what they're calling the Topics API, a new system for interest-based advertising. Uh, so, which in a nutshell kind of pinpoints five interest based on your web activity and stores in any browser. Uh, so basically uh, making that move to contextual-based advertising model. Google's latest uh, deprecation date is set for 2023. Uh, so the clock's ticking and there's really not much time for Google and the rest of the world to really figure this thing out. So definitely want to hear your thoughts there. Another interesting topic of interest uh, that we'll likely spend more time on today is that shift from cookies to first party data as that central currency across marketing and advertising and what will the brands that really don't have a lot of PII, so CPG, the, the Procter's and Gambles, the Nestle's of the world do to protect their growth strategies. So yeah, a lot, lot of interesting things going on. No, definitely. And uh, like you said, when Google speaks, People at least listen and sometimes with bated breath and sometimes with a scratching of our heads, right? So interesting result on this round. It'll be, you know, a lot to dig into to understand, you know, really how that will function. The reality that's literally, I think it's like a three week rolling window that your interest groups are being determined as part of this new API. So um, definitely some more challenges ahead. But the one thing that's not changed is the fact that brands still need to come up with a strategy to go cookie-less, right? That's right. This just further shows that, hey, brands need to take control of what's going on, what they're doing with their data, with their strategies, and look at it more holistically and not be so dependent on just one or two players and let them kind of drive the industry independently, right? So excited about that and excited about our conversation today. And really excited about the fact that we have joining us today is Joyce Turner. She's the Managing Director for CPG Manufacturing and Food Merchant Sector at Axiom. She has a great resume of activity and value driving here at Axiom. She's uh, been with us for quite some time. And so, Joyce, welcome. Why don't you uh, give our listeners a little bit uh, snapshot on your background? I am so excited to be finally invited after months and months and months <laughs> i finally rise to the ranks of uh having yeah. the invite into uh the real identity podcast super excited to be here big fans of the work that our real identity team led by kyle and dustin uh have brought to my day-to-day work right i have those sectors dustin that don't have a lot of first party data and yeah. some do, but many have ignored the need for capturing that data for large periods of time. So a lot of what I am focused on is helping all of those sectors 
uh, get in best position to be prepared when the cookie finally crumbles and ends up in the trash can, right? So it keeps crumbling and we keep putting it back together. But if it ever gets swept up, right, and uh, lands in the trash can, then uh, we certainly want all of our work clients to be in a position to prosper, not just survive, but prosper as things continue to evolve. So uh, looking forward to a great conversation here and and learning from from both of you today because uh, I don't think anyone has all the answers. We're all figuring it out. So it should be a great dialogue. And you bring up the challenges that your particular sector that you're focused on has when it comes to a lot of the changes going on. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about what you're hearing on the ground? What are the CPG and kind of the manufacturing folks saying? Because I know you're in a lot of meetings with them and talking through current state versus what's coming down the road and pretty quickly. Uh, what are you hearing? So I, I think a, a handful of things, right, or a, a small handful. Number one, across the board, what I almost every brand universally that I've spoken to has come to accept is they must master first party identity. I can tell you talking to the same people two years ago and they didn't believe so, right? These are industries and brands. Uh, I like to say, go look in your, go look in your pantry, right? There are world-class <laughs> brands sitting in your pantry who do not know that their product is sitting in your pantry or in your uh, medicine cabinet, if we're talking about uh, over-the-counter pharmaceuticals. So they don't know. They do not know that I might be a brand loyalist and have not been successful in capturing that data. Universally, they all believe now that they need to know who those brand loyalists are. Uh, so that they can maintain the relationships and they can even more so maintain their ability to communicate and engage with those brand loyalists. The world is changing and, and how they do that will not be the same, right? So universally, they have accepted that they need to do more on first-party data. Universally, they have also accepted that no one knows how to do that cost-effectively, right? So a lot of what we spend time, it's one thing to know, something else to do, right? So uh, we buy pantry items largely through some other retailer who then owns that relationship. Uh, so a lot of what we're looking at is how do brands collaborate across ecosystems so that it's good for all, right? There's no collaboration mm -hmm. that any brand wants to have that's not mutually beneficial. So one, one tactic that they're all looking at is how do I better collaborate with retailers, right? And merchants that carry my products. The thing that we're pushing, uh, quite frankly, is that they are much, much more systemic in capturing engagement data. I have reframed engagement data and we still are on the pathway. Can't wait to hear what you all have to say about this. Uh, but we're in reframing engagement data as first party data. So you brands that are engaging with consumers and uh, particularly doing that digitally, when you engage and, and I engage with you, that's your interaction behavior. That That's not someone else's. Assuming that the publishers where those behaviors are occurring will allow access to that data. If they will, it is your responsibility right now to be capturing what is truly already your own asset. And uh, it's, it continues to be amazing to me how much brand engagement data falls on the floor. 
It, it, it never right. gets yeah. loaded into a repository so that I can go do the type of work uh, I'm interested in. Uh, I was just thinking about where Google is headed and, and my own search behavior. I can tell you is rarely anything in my pantry. Right. So if I'm in the I don't know what, what segment I fall into then. And I don't think it's it's uh, consistent across time. Right. The only consistency might be when I start searching to go back to the same destination or check in store hours or something like that right so i don't know that there's a lot of consistency in my search behavior so brands if 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 you have large populations who already have bought into your story and are not going to go search for craft macaroni and cheese and let me tell you i don't know if i have ever uh searched <laughs> macaroni and cheese right so if you're never going to search for that term then how do I capture the information uh, even when I have a, a consumer in a household that is a brand loyalist? So they need to capture that data today. We're most definitely saying, while the question is, how do I go capture first party data cost effectively? What we're ignoring all at the same time is you're already generating it and you're just not storing it, right? So there's a massive uh, cost effective way for you to today collect first party data, start to really understand the profiles and then build up those storehouses, right? Once the cookies are no longer there to provide that insight, you already have a storehouse that you can use and leverage to augment contextual and other plays that you might make, including uh, direct consumer engagement because you did the work in advance. So so that's really what we're hearing and what we're seeing, right, is uh, you know, the market has been very successful in uh, helping everyone understand that things are changing and there's uh, first party data then is rising to the fore and then affordability becomes the question, right? And we're saying uh, there are ways to go do that and do it cost effectively. You you just have to do that now. Don't wait until all of the places where you could capture the data no longer provides it back. So more than a little bit of background yeah. there, Kyle, on, on what we're doing, hopefully. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And certainly as you're talking, things are coming to my mind of what I'm seeing just in the general marketplace, right? Just as a consumer myself, Things that I'm seeing or hearing or even that I've heard through some conversations with clients and prospects and some of the things that come to mind are certainly the, the rise of direct to consumer. Right. I mean, some of that is a supply chain thing. Some of that is a just a value uh, with the consumer and the ability for consumers, you know, to kind of bypass middlemen and, and buy direct. But that's creating a first party data that's already happening and just are they capturing that correctly and are, how much are they leaning into that kind of direct consumer. But then I always I always love the kind of unique or interesting ways that you see brands trying to do things such as uh, like Coke music. They're in an industry where you're like, what does Coke have to do with music? Well, it's a means for them to actually reach consumers, right, in a way that gives them that direct touch by sponsoring concerts, by providing uh, downloadable material, allowing them. I think the whole NFT trend that's like exploded, honestly, is partly because it gives random brands the opportunity to actually engage a consumer directly and make a sell on something that isn't in their traditional product set, but allows them to capture some first party data. And then going all the way to what's slowly becoming one of my favorite topics, the metaverse and Ooh, the, um, the metaverse, you know, Oh, <laughs> the metaverse, but like, like Gucci recently sold in the metaverse, a digital version 
of a Gucci bag. I'd love to know. I remember what the name of it was. I don't know. I don't remember all their, you know, special styles, but they sold one and they sold it in the metaverse for more than they did for the actual bag, the actual bag itself, like the wow. digital version of it. The reality is they're now connecting with a consumer and a consumer is taking that loyalty that you spoke about and being able to present it in a new way. And, and that drives a new type of consumer engagement, new first party data. Now, some of these like the metaverse and such give some challenges because of the going to the identity side of it, the anonymization Mm-hmm. and the way to do that. So it's, it is opening a whole nother challenge for brands to say, Hey, I'm capturing first party data and I really don't know what to do with this data. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's a really interesting and a dynamic ecosystem right now, but it's good to hear that and good to see that brands are being aware and they're starting to be more active, but it does seem that there is no formula yet. I think, you know, in general or strategy, I think we would say there, there is a baseline strategy and Dustin um, is, you know, near and dear to your heart, but you know, it's first collect, right? That's right. <laughs> it's, it's collect the data and uh, do that in any means possible that, uh, you know, with a privacy conscious manner and start being able to integrate that into an identity graph. Joyce, what you're saying just about, you know, that those, Aries, every point of engagement is an an opportunity for a brand, uh, no matter how big or small, to start to get understanding, to get intelligence. And it's really a reframing of, you know, shifting people's mindsets about identity. So rather than looking at identity in many ways as a, you know, cost center, for instance, I've got to pay so much money to to have an identity service uh, to enable us to, well, no, we're going to, let's reframe that to identity as an asset, all those points of engagement, if you're not capturing it, then you're not building that asset that you own. So giving brands the ability to build that asset and monetize that asset. And we're talking about the Coca-Colas of the world, the Mm -hmm. the Kellogg's, the, all those brands you see on TV every day that maybe you didn't engage with directly now have opportunities to really start to, you know, move the needle in this area that understanding personal engagement and one-on-one engagement and, and taking more control over that relationship with their customers. So let's weave all of that together, right? So Here's what's interesting. How you're you're right. There is the rise of direct to consumer, and I mentioned that I have the uh, I am fortunate in being able to see the same problem from multiple lenses or directions. Mm-hmm. Right. So when I look at a grocer who who we also have, right, we have all of the grocery chains, and they care about uh, who owns the customer, who owns the relationship, and when it's the brand. Uh, they care about direct consumer. Here's the funny thing in the food merchant space. I was having a conversation yesterday with with the team, and uh, we were talking about how many apps do you want to have on your phone to mm-hmm. do what? And we were talking about all of the work that if you ride down a hot street that uh, has all of the ways, different ways that you can consume food. Right. Our fast food, fine dining, quick serve restaurants all on the same strip because it, mm-hmm. every city in America has some similar tendencies there. You see then all of these brands that need to go do work. And then the question is, did they do the work before? And I can tell you firsthand that you can be going to Burger King every single week 
And every single day buying the same hamburger and they don't know because the systems were set up to collect the money, not necessarily to connect with me as a person. Uh, and they are not alone. You can yeah. say that with almost, about almost every restaurant. Right. And then I see all of the uh, many restaurants looking to fix that. But then the question becomes, how many different restaurants app do I want to have on my phone versus a singular uh, point of intersection, which might be a food delivery service, right? Who has that's mm -hmm. serving multis. It, food delivery to me looks like a grocery store, right? It looks like a retailer now. So I have all the brands sitting on the shelf and then you go pick your brand, right? And I then also own a relationship. So when we're looking at the environment in which everyone is operating, very dynamic, but needs to be looked at through the lens of, us as individual consumers, not necessarily what's good for the brand. Obviously, if I can get my you to use my app on your phone, that's likely the best thing that I can do. But realistically, will I have 30 different apps on my phone for every restaurant I might uh, frequent? Probably not likely, right? But maybe one day we'll see the, for those that come behind us that, uh, you know, you embed the chip in my head and then I can see it, right? Like, we'll let Elon Musk figure the, the, the embedded chip out, right? So I don't have to put the app on my phone, <laughs> right? That, that's a whole nother, you know, along with the metaverse, right? We've got Elon Musk with the embedded, uh, you know, brain chip. So, and at the same time, Dustin, you mentioned, I started thinking about what's happening as well with device manufacturers, right? So if I can dream for a second, if I can go all the way into nerdette mode, right? If I can dream for a second, what I believe will happen over time is this ecosystem where devices, which now collect a lot of data, Manufacturers now, let's use a, a Keurig machine that has programmable functions that's connected to your Wi-Fi. Could be your light bulb because they're connected to Wi-Fi and a lot of the other systems mm -hmm. are now. They're continuing to build toward connectivity. Even your refrigerator. There are refrigerators that will take a picture of what's in the refrigerator so that uh, you can load up your shopping list. It's not a stretch for me to take that shopping list and automate the shopping list into an order that goes to X retailer, right? So so the dream that I have, the rising dream, I don't even think it's a dream, it's just like paying attention, is that all of these places now, devices and interaction mechanisms that we have, the data about a consumer in a household is going to sit in many hands. So the elegance with which we apply identity and connective fabric to that data. Then if I'm looking at a, a light bulb in a household that's Wi-Fi enabled, how then do I apply identity on top of that light bulb so that it has applicability to the broader ecosystem? And then guess what? I do the same thing with my coffee machine and my coffee company that I prefer to use, right? I can do the same thing with my milk company sitting inside of the refrigerator, right? Because I've got identity stitching with the device ecosystem or internet of things that also then converges around what? People, right? It converges around individual consumers and households. So the way we're looking at identity is through the lens, not of where it is today. And oh, by the way, there's a lot that needs to be mm -hmm. done. It's where it's headed, right? And the, the place that we see that all of it is headed is that devices will continue to, to build in relevance to our lives. They will build in their connectivity to the ecosystem. Just imagine this, like I 
when I, I get so excited when I think about what's going on in manufacturing, right? Smart TVs already do this. They look more like cell phones where that smart TV device manufacturer knows what I'm watching, when I'm watching and which commercials I am engaging with. If I am craft macaroni and cheese, I care about the commercials on that smart device and on that streaming uh, service that uh, Joy's interacted with. Right. There, there is this building web of needed connectivity that all leads back to people. Right. So when I think about identity, I think about the work that has to be done. There's immediate work. Absolutely. That needs to be done uh, to build up storehouses. And then when I get past that, I see this evolving, fast moving web where more devices are creating more data than ever before. And people who build devices, they're not really thinking about how that data connects within the ecosystem. Right. So the work that we have an opportunity to do today is if you're going to go build a smart device and connect it to a household, what are you doing with the data that is coming out of that? And then how do you plan to intersect that data within the broader data exchange that we have an opportunity to enable? So I, I think it's an exciting as a nerd at. Uh, it's an exciting time to study it. Right. But even more so, it's, a, it's an exciting time to influence the work that people do today, because the capabilities are there. Everyone's not thinking, because if I'm device, I'm just thinking about how do I make the best, coolest, you know, smartest device. I'm not necessarily thinking about uh, how that translates into people data. And then how do I connect people data to the people who care? Right. But it's there. And I can promise you there, there are hundreds and thousands of brands who care about the interaction with my commercial that ran on your device that triggered a buy, right. That triggered my coffee buy that landed in my web enabled coffee maker that then cooks my coffee in the morning and then repeats that so that I don't have to do anything. My coffee shows up and, and one day we'll have a robot that loads that coffee into the coffee maker, right? Not there yet, but <laughs> you can you can just imagine yeah. it, right? Like you can yeah. kind of see like this building like energy and innovation around how data enables consumers to live lives easier. And if we're smart about how we do that as a broader ecosystem, uh, I think the sky's the limit. So I'm super excited about uh, watching that ecosystem evolve and then helping all of the brands who are not savvy people companies might be great um, with big brand marketing or great with device manufacturing and need help then to understand how to best create, collect, collect, uh, Dustin, for you, right? Create, collect, manage, and then right. utilize all of those assets within the broader uh, metaverse. Kyle. So yeah, I'm excited. And NFTs, that's a whole different animal. I don't know that I get, listen, yeah. And you can copy and paste it. I don't know that I, I've got it. I, let me, what you can do, right? That same Gucci, you know, purse that sold, that's a virtual thing. I can copy and paste and send that around 100,000 times. I don't know yet how that makes sense to me, right? That I owned it. I don't know what ownership got me. So let me just say, I have much, much, much work to do to really better understand the <laughs> NFT space and the virtual NFTs and how a ownership 
of an asset that can be very easily replicated via cut and paste yields me any value. Mm -hmm. I just haven't figured that out yet, but I promise you if I do, I've got a bunch of NFTs for sale. It's kind of like that swamp land, right? (laughs) (laughs) It'll be pictures from this whole podcast, right? I got NFTs, right? So you need (laughs) digital assets. So uh, I I am super excited to see how it all unfolds. Yeah, Joyce, you know, you're really touching on creative ways brands are driving customer experience, not just selling a unique product, but the way you buy the product or engage with the product. And those are the brands that are going to win. And, you know, what does it take? You know, identity. As a matter of fact, like, you know, I'll sit there and I'll be eating a bowl of cereal with my my girls in the morning and on the back of those boxes are QR codes. Mm-hmm. I open my pantry on the back of the, the mac and cheese box, another QR code, right? Like in CPG, mm-hmm. there's all these creative ways now that brands can now capture data and then drive them from a terrestrial experience, like a physical box, a physical product, and leverage that to drive loyalty, drive them back to a website and can connect now the device, get them to make themselves, you know, if there's enough value there, right? Mm-hmm. We eat mac and cheese every day. We consume a lot of that. It's like, what am I willing to give? And and do I even have the experience to give it? Do I have the possi- the opportunity to give it? So it's creating those opportunities and there's so many unique things happening in the space, right? I think that's universal with the value exchange, right? What is the handshake between the brand and the consumer so that I give you more and allow you to see more? I would suggest that some of that handshake is also individual brands doing the identity work as data is being collected so the consumer can be passive. Right. So there are places where the consumer is doing something actively and then there are places where they're just going about their everyday lives. Can we make it easy via identity for just my normal behavior to, in a permission way, right, a privacy compliant, you know, a permission way, if I can then just enable the ecosystem to make it easier for me to do everything. And, and I do think, Dustin, there are transformational experiences that brands can unlock. I think Coca-Cola has been at a long time, right? So music and engagement, they got free touch uh, machines and vending machines that they have around the world where you're just interacting with other people, right? Like you call somebody anonymously. Mm-hmm. Coca-Cola is on a whole different level, right? So if anybody can figure it out, yeah. I'm, I, amongst other brands that are you know, really progressive, uh, they really spent a lot of time thinking about the customer experience and how to unlock a differentiated value exchange where you want to interact with me more. Now, does that mean 80, 90 percent of us go do all of those things today? Maybe not. Maybe not. Right. But there are other ways, you know, for Coca-Cola to get those same insights. Right. They're direct data exchange but or engagement and then the broader ecosystem. I think you have to look at it all. Get everything that you can directly, and then realistically, you're going to need to interact with the broader ecosystem because there's some fall off with engagement. Kyle, I think you were, you're you're oh, chomping yeah. at the bit to yeah, tell us something about things. the metaverse. I am. <laughs> no, no, actually, not about the metaverse yet. But um, but what what you brought to mind was in talking about the ease and stuff, right? And I'm thinking about my printer. My printer orders its ink because I've set up policy with the vendor to say, here's my information, including 
my payment information, and then it takes over, right? It goes and it says, oh, you're low on black, and it will go out and they'll order it. And next thing I know, I'm getting a package delivered to my door. And it's like, okay, great. There's my ink. And there's all this PII and all this first-party data that's being captured through that process. So just the thought of that and then parlaying that into your conversation around devices as a whole and just thinking, hey, I've got a you know, mini fridge that I keep my Diet Cokes in. And if you just added some capability to that where it's monitoring my Diet Coke shelf, it could, I would be more than happy if it just automatically ordered me Diet Cokes and they came to my door, right? So it is an interesting interplay there between the use of the product, whether it's a drink or a printer and its ability to then take action that I find value in and therefore I'm willing to share and provide that identity and payment information. So it's really interesting, but then you think about the combination of those and the challenge between a mini fridge manufacturer, who's actually the one capturing the data because they're the one that have done the snapshot and there might even be the one buying on my behalf with the CPG, the Coke. I'm not necessarily buying it directly from Coke. I'm buying it through this other is the aspect of data sharing within those ecosystems, not just me sharing with either the device manufacturer or the brand, but actually the device manufacturer and the brand sharing data together, which, you know, is, is really driving, I think, a lot of the push towards reinvigorated, I'll say reinvigorated because it's not new, but a reinvigorated conversation around clean room and around general data marketplace, as well as doing that in such a privacy conscious manner that there's, uh, you know, zero trust models where sensitive data isn't leaving either place whether it's the manufacturer or the CPG, but at the same time, they're able to share enough data and tie it to a type of identity. And I think that's a key thing about identity is identity is no longer just about Kyle. There's all types of identity. There's pseudonymous identities. There's purely anonymous identities. It's still a entity though. And then there is that aspect of, the convergence of our digital identity with our terrestrial, as Dustin put it, and even our physical, such as, you know, facial recognition capabilities and what's happening in the travel industry and being able to have zero touch onboarding onto, you know, an airplane and such where it's using more of our physical characteristics. So, so much going on. And like you said, it's, it's a exciting industry to be in, both from the identity side, seeing it playing out. But I just love watching the innovation and the creative juices flowing everywhere. I saw some article which was like some toothpaste or a toothbrush brand or something. And it was talking about how it's reinvigorated itself by dreaming about a how to connect to the consumer. And so it is an exciting time. And I would say we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours. But unfortunately, we are at the end of our podcast window. So Joyce, Thank you so much for your insights and your enthusiasm and, and just being on the show. Loved having you here. And hopefully our listeners got some good information out of this and can bring their ideas to us. If so, uh, visit us at www.axiom.com backslash real talk. So that'll be all for today's episode. And vote for a repeat. So all of all of the podcasters who see this episode, vote and request, 
know, episode two, because I want to come back and uh, there are some places we never did get a chance <laughs> Absolutely. to get. So yes. please do oh, let us know that we, you, you want to hear more. Cannot wait. Yeah. We will definitely bring you back on, Joyce. Like I said, so much to unpack and really excited about that. So thank you, everyone, uh, for sticking with us and look forward to talking again on our next episode.